God, we are grateful for your presence with us. We're thankful that you, God, go before us, that you lead us, that you encourage us, that you uphold us and sustain us. I'm thankful today, God, that you know each one of us, that you see us, that you are present with us in dark and difficult times. And so we say thank you for being our defender, our refuge, and our strength. Thank you that in you all things, you work for the good of those who, who love you and who have been called according to your purposes. Lord, help us to know you are with us and to trust in your sovereignty. We pray this in the name of our Father. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I am so glad to be with you guys here this week. Um, Doug is out of town, as you have probably noticed, and somebody took a big risk and decided to ask me to get up here and to speak this morning. And uh, before, I mean, it was kind of an odd thing, before I could even get my mouth closed, I said yes, yes just came out. And so uh, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, right? So here I am. And I'm excited for this time we have together to move forward into God's word. And I'm gonna invite you to take out your smartphones, your tablets. If you're old school, take out your Bible. Um, Just a side note, in the back often we have Bibles. They're Bibles that we buy, that we set aside, that if you come in here and you don't have one, feel free to take one home. Uh, You don't need permission. This is your your free card here. So we would love for you to have a Bible. And, um, and you too can own America's number one most shoplifted book. That's what I was told growing up. I don't know if my mom told me that just so I would read it, but um, that is good news, right, friends? Because this book isn't just any book. It has the power to transform. We read these words from Hebrews 4. Sharper, this book is living and active, sharper than every, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to designing to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And so I hope that we are committed to reading this book. Amen? Amen. So let's pray as we we come to God this morning to his word. So Lord, I'm thankful for the words of life that are contained in this book. I'm overwhelmed by the ways that you've spoken to me over the past few weeks. As I have read and studied these passages I am um, humbled that you would use an ordinary person like me to do extraordinary things, hopefully by the power of your spirit. Would you open our ears to hear and our hearts and minds to be transformed by you. Holy Spirit, come. Come and continue to do your work and move among us this morning, we pray. Amen. So I'm gonna invite you to open up this book uh, to one of the most familiar and popular passages in the entire Bible, and I, I honestly, I don't think I'm even going to tell you which one it is. I'm just going to say, don't open up to John 3.16. So let's just open up our Bibles. We're actually going to turn to a psalm, and, uh, and this is a psalm that is probably considered by some one of the most dangerous psalms, and they can, people consider it dangerous because it's so well known uh, that both Christian and non-Christians uh, are aware of it. It's Psalm 23. And so I remember as a sophomore in high school, I remember sitting in an American history class with my football coach, Coach Roll. We had a student teacher, and in the midst of the student teacher's lecture, Coach Roll comes barging in from the class next door. 
he had this disgruntled and concerned look on his face, and he just said, turn on the TV. And we were watching live as the second plane came into view and slammed into the Twin Tower. Many of you remember exactly where you're at. You remember it well, too. 3,000 men, women, and children lost their lives. News footage played over and over the events of the day. Pictures of, of smoldering buildings, of debris, of, of wreckage just scattered about the city. And amidst the fear and chaos of those days, the words of Psalm 23 came alive in the hearts of our nation. They were quoted in funeral services, in prayer vigils. They scrolled across the bottoms of our TV screens. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is a psalm that is so familiar, we often just let it roll off our tongue, so we're going to put it up on the screen, and, uh, and I'm going to read this to you the way that I typically have read this psalm in the past. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pasture, he leads me besides quiet water, he refreshes my soul, he guides me along the right path for his namesake, and then I'm tempted always to kind of start beatboxing, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> Even Coolio knew this psalm. So as I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then here's the good part, right? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? And so the pictures that come to mind are pictures like this of, of a little shepherd carrying a sheep or of a shepherd carrying a little sheep. Um, or maybe it's this other sort of picture. Uh, this is what I had hanging up in my Sunday school classroom as a kid. It was the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus carrying a meek little lamb over his shoulders, so cute, so serene. And who doesn't love that last part? It's so inspiring, right? So... So, uh, so this morning, I want us to make sure that we're not just skimming over this text. Um, and in, in fact, if I could give everybody here a piece of homework for this week, which I, man, if I was in your shoes, I would hate that. <laughs> but if I could give you a piece of homework, I would encourage you to start each morning to read this psalm, and I guarantee you that these six verses will be memorized by the end of the week, and they will give you life. So, um, to be honest, this morning I was, I was hoping, and as I was thinking about the text, we've been in Psalms, talking about the life of David, David was a musician, Psalms are songs, I thought, this is perfect, I can talk about authentic worship, um, and yet Yvonne stole that from me a couple weeks ago, and so I was trying to figure out what to do, uh, and, and I some of you might be wondering, how did I land on this psalm, Psalm 23? It's simple, it's not profound, but there's a band that I love called Shane and Shane, who have written two albums that are fantastic, that are just purely based off of the psalms, off of scripture. And I really like this song, and so when I realized it was six verses, I thought, oh, this is even better. So here we are. I didn't choose Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter, in fact, of the whole Bible. Uh, I chose Psalm 23, six verses. This is a cliff note into the whole of Christian life. I remember uh, as I started school in Colorado, my first year of Bible college, lots of distractions. I was in the mountains, I could go skiing, I could go hiking, and uh, as papers were all of a sudden due, 
um, all this reading that I was supposed to have done to write things on, I discovered Cliff Notes. <laughs> I realized pretty quickly that you could take 800 pages and have it condensed into about 80 pages. And, uh, and so you could say that Cliff Notes has had a significant ministry in my life. Um, so Psalm 23 is a cliff note, I believe, to the whole of the Christian life. And so let's jump right in and kind of look at some, make some general observations about this text. So in verse 1, this is the theme, the Lord is my shepherd. This text was written from the perspective of a sheep, right? When David was a kid, he didn't work at 7-Eleven, he wasn't a barista, he, uh, he wasn't a lifeguard at the community pool. He was a shepherd. And so he uses something that he knows a lot about, about being a shepherd in this text, uh, to draw some, I think, some profound um, conclusions. And so uh, I started thinking about this perspective of the sheep, and I, I don't really know much about sheep, so I started kind of reading about it. Uh, and did you know that over 200 times in the Bible, God refers to us as sheep? And so I don't know if that's something we should smile about or we should be a little puzzled about, but not 10, not 20, but 200 times he refers to us as sheep. And so I thought, well, what are a couple of traits of sheep? And I would say that the outstanding characteristic of sheep is their stupidity. <laughs> so when we get to the end of the sermon, um, it might feel like we've given sheep a little bit of a rough time, and maybe we do need to cut some slack. But, um, but one of the things that makes sheep um, kind of not very bright animals is that they, they just kind of wander through the fields, and um, they don't have, as far as we know, incredible capacity for, for intellect. They're just kind of are these obedient animals that just kind of get told where to go, and they wander around. The second characteristic is that sheep are dirty, they're dirty creatures. One of the things that I have noticed uh, growing up, my friends always had cats, and cats just kind of sit there, and they just kind of lick themselves. I think God instilled within cats this innate um, sense for cleanliness, this instinct to be clean, um, and God didn't do that with sheep. They wander through the desert, and dirt and dust kicks up, it accumulates in their coats, they become dusty and filthy, and maggots, you know, bed in their coats, um, and there's really nothing that they can do about it. They just are dirty creatures. And sometimes I think as we begin our journey in this Christian life, uh, we look at the decisions we make, and we start to think, man, I thought I made this decision. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was getting into. And maybe I'm not really a follower of Christ after all, because the things that <clears throat> I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Does this sound familiar? This is Romans 7, right? Um, and yet, if you just press on a little farther into Romans 8, you would read this. That therefore, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is the great news of the gospel. For God, made, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus took our sin upon himself, and he paid it all for us. Friends, we need a Savior. 
God requires 100% righteousness, um, and we can't do it on our own. And so we read the words of John 1, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from most unrighteousness, right? Does it say that? All. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has paid it all in full. What a savior. What a shepherd. So if the son sets you free, you, are, you will be free indeed. Who would not want Jesus to be their shepherd? Maybe a third characteristic we could look at uh, when we think about sheep is that they're relatively defenseless. Chameleons change color, right? Into trees, there's bugs and insects that do that. They kind of morph into their surroundings. Skunks have a, a, a spray that's their defense mechanism. Rattlesnakes and scorpions have venom. Sheep are just hard-headed. Um, pretty, pretty much defenseless. And friends, this is what we are called. We are called sheep who are not the most intelligent, who are pretty dirty, and who are rather defenseless. And today I think we need a shepherd. And so we read these words, the Lord is my shepherd. And maybe a question we need to ask ourselves, how do we know if the Lord is our shepherd? So John 10 has some instruction on this. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So as we continue the rest of this verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The New King, the King James translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The NLT says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. And as I read that and reflected on that, it was like a punch to the stomach. There is a plea in this text for contentment. I remember as I was listening to, um, to Shane and Shane sing this song, and he talked about writing it in the first few weeks they were in the studio, and they're trying to get the melody down for the song. He said, I just couldn't get past that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because all he could think about is, the Lord is my shepherd, and all I do is Want. So if you're like me, you have some of these same tendencies, that you want people to like you. As a worship leader, I want people to like me. I want people to like the music that I play. And I fall into a lot of the same traps, wishing that I was a better guitar player, that I could sing higher, that I could sing lower, that I had a few more likes on Instagram or Facebook, that I had just a few more thousand dollars in my checking account, because then life would be good. We'd be changed forever. And that's just not the case. So if you are like me, you find yourself wanting, I think we can come to God in this text and we can learn what it means to be content with what God has provided. I, um, I was listening to a rabbi talk about this psalm. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but I was listening to a rabbi talk about this psalm and he was talking about how a lot of us read through scripture and we interpret God as being this tight ass person <laughs> and I think sometimes we do think that way we think God is, is, is kind of a little bit angry a little bit frustrated a little bit mad with us um, 
So why are we deserving of his love? Why would we be given the best gifts from God? And yet, as I've been reading scripture more and more, I'm seeing God's great benevolence, his generosity, and as the scripture says, that he is without lack. And so um, this is something that we sing about all the time, right? All of you is more than enough for. We, we talk about God being not just enough, but about him being more than enough. Uh, and yet we just struggle with this reality. So as we read like Psalm 73, it says, Who do I have in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire but you. Really? My heart may fail, and it will fail. My flesh may fail, and it has, and it will. But you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Really, is he enough? So I've, I've thought a lot about this, this desire that we have within us to consume and to have more and to have more. And, and this is something that I see that kind of harkens back to the beginning of time. And I don't think that it's necessarily bad wiring, but I think God has wired inside of each of us a massive raging desire to drink and be satisfied, to eat and to be full. And he made it so big that only one thing could fill it. That's what I think happened. I think it was purposeful that God put it there on purpose and that the reality of our sin and of our covetousness is that we just keep suppressing this deep desire within us that was put there by design but that only God could fill. He's planted eternity in the human heart, says Ecclesiastes 3. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, if you find that nothing in this world is able to satisfy your soul, the best possible explanation was that your soul was created for another world, namely God. We can admit from the very beginning that we've had a serious sin problem. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm somewhat moved by this section of the text. It's only verse one. Uh, this actually almost derailed the entire sermon. I almost just stopped right here and just thought, let's just, let's unpack this a little bit. Consumerism in American culture, how do we deal with that? But I want us to continue to move on. He shifts a bit and he describes the benefits of Jesus as I see it in the next few verses, that he gives his people rest. Interesting, he starts with rest. He makes them lie down in green pastures. I think of being a dad, of having three little kids who are always on the move, always on the go, and the, the common thing that I, just has always perplexed me is why in the world do our three kids who will just keep going, 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 why do they not just take a nap? <laughs> you know, as a, as a parent, we, we just, we would kill for a nap. <laughs> But our kids don't always know when to stop. They don't always know when to, when to hit the brakes and when, to, when they've hit ex exhaustion, really. And so I, I think that it is in the, the parent's mind, it is in the child's best interest that we make them to stop, to take a nap, because they don't realize their own exhaustion. And one of the things that I see as I look around and as I walk on the streets of Chandler, as I sit in coffee shops, is people are exhausted, we are in a culture 
that is nonstop. We even have a name for this pace of life. It's 24. We've named it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And guess what? We weren't made for that. Psalm 127 says, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Newsflash, we were not made to live that way. We are made to rest. God is our shepherd. He will make us rest. He leads us besides still waters, quiet waters. He refreshes our soul. The word I love in this text is that he leads us. Um, I was learning a little bit about shepherds this week, and um, somebody, somebody commented, and they said, you know, there's really two ways that people who are shepherds tend their flocks. In Australia and New Zealand, they tend to have huge flocks, and so they come behind, they kind of corral them, and they push them. They drive their flocks and kind of push them in the direction they want to go. And then they said, if you go to Israel, you will never see a shepherd in the back of the flock. The shepherd is always in the front, always leading the flock, and always directing it where it should go. Is this not good news, friends, that he leads us beside quiet waters? John 10, 4 says, he has brought out all his own. He goes on ahead of them. He's not behind us, driving us. He's out in front, leading us. And sometimes, as Doug talked about last week, he will even lead us into dark places, into hard places. And so we get to the next part of the text that says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And maybe today you came to church because you have anxiety about something. Maybe there's a doctor's test that's looming on the horizon. Maybe you've heard rumors that there's going to be massive layoffs in 30 days in your company. Um, can I just tell you something great about Jesus? Is that we might be worried about tomorrow or in 10 days from now or next Thursday, and he's already there. He's out in front of us. He's got us covered in his omnipotence and his omnipresence. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he's got the solution. Even if it's bad news, he's got a solution. So we talked about this last week, about this, this season or this time when we feel like we might be in a, in a cave of the pain and the suffering that we go through in this life. He talked about how God uses our circumstances to transform our hearts. God uses sickness and challenging situations to do work in our hearts that don't come through prosperity. And I've seen that time and time again to be true. He has purposes for us that we don't always understand. Psalm 119 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Ouch. And I think a lot of times we come and we want these easy pat answers. Um, and I don't always see that in Scripture. We remember these words that in the world you will have an easy time. I love that verse. Just wish it was in the Bible. 
in the world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Acts 14.22, though many tribulations you enter, uh, through many tribulations you enter the kingdom of God. Not some, not few, through many tribulations. But the good news is that means you're on your way to heaven, right? Because the reality uh, is that there's a shepherd that is doing work in our life and his purpose is not necessarily to save our physical body, but it's to save our soul. We are all going to die, friends. And then I think about the stories in the Bible. Lazarus died, was brought back to life, and then he died. I think about um, the Apostle Paul who was afflicted. And then we remember these words that he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet he shall he live because Jesus conquered death. And so the next, the next verses I think that uh, to me are just bring so much encouragement is that um, it's just that just to be reminded that he provides leadership. He leads us besides quiet water. He gives us restoration. He restores our soul and he guides us along the right paths for his name's sake. I know that often uh, I can be a very stubborn person. Um, and I know many of you can be very stubborn. You have strong wills. And we remember the words of Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And I think there are lessons here that we need to learn as a sheep about what it means when when our shepherd, when Jesus takes us and he guides us along the right path for his name's sake. Doug talked last week about this a little bit more. I really would encourage you to listen to that sermon. It was awesome. And he talked about, about how God, um, sometimes it's our own stupidity that gets us there. And sometimes we're going down the wrong path. And sometimes it's a matter of discipline. And it's because he loves us. Um, and so maybe we need to discover, uh, even in our own lives, we need to think of the discipline that we're going through as restoration. And, and what a great God that he would love us enough to discipline us and to restore us. In verse 4 it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley or even though I walk through the shadow of death, think of the death of loved ones. I think about financial ruin that has happened for friends, for sickness and physical affliction. And the question we always ask is, why does God not deliver them? And not always the answer we want to hear, but I believe he will. It just might not be this side of eternity. Um, I think there, I've, I've been frustrated at times in my life when people just insinuate that if somebody just had more faith, that they would be healed. Because <laughs> I have known and walked alongside of people who are the absolute pillars of faith who God in his sovereignty has decided not to heal 
we just don't always understand. It's one of the juxtapositions of the Christian faith that God is both knowable and that he is incomprehensible, and thank goodness for that. He would not be much of a God if we totally understood his ways. Again, these words from C.S. Lewis, he says, when we get to heaven, we're going to look around, and the first words out of, out of our mouth will be, of course. Isn't that awesome? For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. And I imagine we'll stand before God in heaven someday, and after we have that moment where the light bulb goes on, we'll just fall down and praise him for being a good and gracious God. Another thing that um, I was thinking about as, as I was reading this psalm was that sometimes we get stuck in these dark situations and we feel just like we're in the darkness, but we have to realize that our shepherd has never been in the dark. We read in Psalm 139 that even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees you and has never been in darkness. He sees you and he sees your situation and he knows your circumstances and he knows your future and he sees you clearly all the time. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Amen? Let's not lose hope. As we look at Psalm 23, we think contextually, um, he is with us, he is leading us, and then we read, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, which might sound a little redundant, but we think about a rod, and, and that's used often for correction and for discipline. And, uh, and then we have a staff, which if you're hiking, you might have trekking poles. It's used for support, for sure-footedness, protection. And then in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He gives us the essentials. I love the imagery of the table that sheep need to be fed to. And this, friends, I believe is a picture of a benevolent God who has bounty to feed and to protect, whose cup is full and without lack. Why wouldn't you want Jesus to be your shepherd? In verse 6, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's got our future secured. That even when, themes, when things seem hopeless, that we can remember that surely goodness and mercy will follow me, not most of the days of my life, but all of the days of my life. And I think here that sometimes the temptation when we're in these circumstances, these hard situations, I think we put God off and under a microscope. And... Uh, and we just get right up close, and all we can see is the situation in front of us. Um, but maybe, perhaps what we need is more of a wide-angle lens, something where we can look out, where we can see the whole picture. And, and that's what I think 
David does here for us is he gives us this wide-angle lens that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, yes, bad things happen. I think of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Um, His brothers were jealous. They sold his brother into slavery. Was slavery evil? Yes. Did God stop it? No. Could he have? I have to say yes. God didn't stop it. He went into slavery, and he later became the co-leader of Israel with Pharaoh. And years later, he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Friends, this is not only true of Joseph's life. This is true of our life as well, because we have the same shepherd. So we hear the beginning part of this and the end part of this. The Lord is my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He gives hope to his sheep. So just in closing, I I just want us to to kind of take a second to think a little bit more personally about this text and how this relates to us. And I want to just go back to that first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I want us to wrestle with these, these questions today about who or what is our shepherd? What are the things that are first in our life, the things that are inspiring us, that are leading us, that are guiding us to make the decisions we make? Are we driven by our bank accounts to find our provision? Is our pension plan and our 401k our security? Are we concerned with our reputation and our identity instead of realizing who we are in Christ? Is it your toys and your possessions, the things that you work so hard for that give you hope and bring you joy? I think there is a holy invitation in this text to see the bigger picture to rest, to surrender, to be led by a shepherd, and to realize that we are just sheep. And so the questions that I continue to think over as I've walked away from this text over this week is, is Jesus my shepherd? Today, this week, this month, over the course of my year, have I lived as though Jesus is my shepherd? And am I following him? And if not, there'll be some people up here following the service that would just love to pray with you, would love to talk with you, and would just would love to share with what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So I imagine Jesus calling out to his sheep, saying, where are you? And each of us, I think, if we identify as a sheep, where are we in relationship to our Savior? Are we blazing our own trail? Are we running out in front? Are we wandering aimlessly? Or are we by our Savior's side? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. I'm going to continue to read this invitation from Isaiah 55. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affairs. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Let's pray together this morning. God, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that we would learn what it looks like to be content in you, God, to find all that we are in you. Through this text, would we realize the great love that you have for us? And would we know in the deepest part of our beings that you desire for us to live out of the fullness of a relationship with you? So God, all the things in our life that that choke out the life and the work you are doing within us, the things you have created us for, God, help us to be content, to find ourselves in you, to experience the fullness of joy in your presence, even in this life, that in times of uncertainty that we would be convinced that you love us that surely goodness and mercy is right beside us. We ask and we pray this in the name that is above all names, in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Shepherd. Amen. As we continue in worship, we just invite you, if you want to take time, you can remain seated, but we just invite you to, to ponder on these things, to ask where God might be inviting you to take a step towards Him today. Join us as we continue in worship.